This is the Voluntarian Podcast with your host Abe Collier, based in Odessa, Ukraine. Here we discuss humanitarian aid, working in an international context, and volunteering. This podcast is a production of Dignity Aid International. Your donations can help us provide humanitarian assistance in this conflict. Please find a link in the description or comments. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Voluntarian Podcast. Um, I'm here today with my guest, Ina Belus, who is a good friend of mine from here in Odessa, Ukraine. She runs uh, notes from my phone today, as I'll be on the road later tonight on the night train. Um, she's the executive director of a local civil society organization, Manifest Mira, with whom I've worked many times and love working, and has traveled regularly between the UK and Odessa since the beginning of the full-scale invasion and has more wisdom to share with us than we can possibly get through in 45 minutes or an hour, but we'll do our best. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, anything you want to add to your intro? I'm a mother of three. Yes, that is important. <laughs> and lovely children, in my opinion. They're all three. Very cool. So. Yes, uh, and I think that's the main achievement of mine, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, yeah. Good to have you. Yeah, I'm just, I, I, I'm thinking whether I have to pronounce that I'm, I'm working for American company. Um, sure. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is like this. Good. Disclaimer. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and the opinions that she will present here do not necessarily present the opinions of her employer. <laughs> yes, that's important. Thank you. <laughs> um, the question I thought we'd start out with, um, because I think you'll have some good perspectives on it, is why does civil society matter? Uh, civil society being like NGOs and foundations and the non-governmental side of churches of society. Oh, so you are talking mostly about the institutions that represent the civil society, not about the civil society as a whole. Please explain more. So, I mean, it, it's not only about the Ukrainian case, but the institutional capacity is still not uh, that high as we could have mm -hmm. and as we wish to have especially when the challenges like the war appears. From one hand, they push us to institutionalize more mm -hmm. because then you have the money and all these uh, different possibilities if mm -hmm. you have the institutions. From, but from another hand, institutionalization brings their new rules. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these new rules and red tape and bureaucracy that also comes to this mm -hmm. uh, makes people burn out or not to act that fast. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to balance somehow between institutionalization and capacity building of the ones who are already institutionalized mm -hmm. and also keep going fast with supporting the freedom of the civil society, especially when it goes to rural areas, because I truly believe then when we talk about the rural area, about the village, because I am from the village, it's essentially there. Mm -hmm. So because you have the community, you have civil society and because the community is so linked to each other, 
it means that civil society is just there and civil society action can be made really fast mm -hmm. and you can work with this. Mm -hmm. And I also truly believe if we are not going to use this, uh, we can lose in different areas, starting from their war, ending in optimistic scenario with all the rebuilding efforts. Mm -hmm. And if it goes to urban area, it's much more complicated because in urban area is not that easy and we are now in Odessa, so we're not going to hide the fact that there are still a lot of diversion groups and agents and, and the city is not that easy. Uh, and sometimes they can hide between the civil society and get the information, etc. So here it's a crucial to work with certain groups and institutionalize and, and maybe give less freedom for urban areas than rural areas. But this is like my point of view. So the institutions that are, operate in civil society area are more important, you're saying, in the urban areas. But in the rural areas in particular, it needs to be encouraged. I know you're doing some work on that. You yeah. have some ideas for how to do that. How would you do that in the rural areas? I mean, I wish I have the, the answer to this question. Mm -hmm. It's not that easy. Uh, we are quite blind on it. That's why we're doing researches on urban areas. Mm -hmm. And we're, we and, want to proceed with areas. the... Uh, and rural areas, mm -hmm. yes. And we want to proceed with the interviews. So, and going back to the history, we know the facts <laughs> when some countries lost the wars mm -hmm. and the communists came there. I'm talking about China mm -hmm. because they didn't support enough the rural areas. Mm -hmm. They were focusing on the elites and urban areas. Mm -hmm. And it is the survival question. And with the decentralization and the whole idea that Ukraine brought after the war started in 2014 mm -hmm. with the decentralization, we are having a lot of opportunities right now to develop the rural area, even during the hot war, mm -hmm. especially from the Western side uh, and like some Southern regions. And it will help us a lot then to rebuild other territories because right now we have to do this homework with the civil society and, and even giving them the hope uh, there it, it will help to go through the challenges that we are facing right now uh, because we, we don't want some sad stories when someone will show where the rockets can be. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So strengthening the volunteer groups and the and the local leadership yeah. in any way, entrepreneurship trainings, I know one thing you look yes. at. So. Because stronger they will be, better the basic needs will be covered, means that less threats we have inside from the security side, mm -hmm. they're not going to sell their information. Information, yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we've touched on this, but the next question I thought we'd move to is what unique challenges do you think Ukraine faces in civil society operations such as activism, activism or humanitarian aid? Unique challenges in Ukraine? Okay, see? so we have not, we have a problems with the education for the, um, let's call them civil activists. Mm -hmm. 
because it essentially came to Ukraine because we are fighting for the democracy values. Mm -hmm. But I really feel even in my case, I don't have enough education and knowledge to understand what tools I can use to be productive, to keep myself okay in terms of the mental health, mm -hmm. uh, how to advocate on the level and have enough capacity, I mean money, to advocate on the certain level of the law uh, support, mm -hmm. because like striking is not going to bring us somewhere without the documents and correspondence mm -hmm. and, and the proper advocacy processes. Mm -hmm. So, and there are not enough lawyers who are ready to do pro bono and usually pro bono is not going to last that long and we need like long Mm -hmm. uh, contract and even if we look at the grants they're still short for the advocacy processes there are certain organizations who are supporting civil society and there are a lot of them uh, but I think that there should be like longer routes to be planned uh, with the educational component there mm. <sighs> Speaking of which, how did you first get into activism? Um, you mentioned there's not a lot of education on it. Um, how did you find out about... I mean, you were quite young when you first got into it and started planning demonstrations and things, right? Oh, it's been a long journey. I mm -hmm. can't even remember. Okay, so, so the first thing that actually came to my mind, it was 2014, mm -hmm. and there was the Impact Hub place mm -hmm. just opened. And I was about to leave the country because I had two young children and I was really stressed with the education level and I was young. So I've heard this uh, radio uh, commercial saying, if you have some social projects, come to us. Uh, and before I was already building some career in IT and, mm -hmm. I, and it was Symbian platform phones, like who remembers Symbian platform? I'm, that I'm that old. <laughs> so I was working there. So, um, yeah, and I decided, okay, I don't have any social project, but I really want to have one. Mm -hmm. And I started digging into the internet and looking for some educational projects that I can implement mm -hmm. in Ukraine. So I found one, which was the design thinking for children. Mm -hmm. uh, and I came there saying, okay, I have this project. They, they sent me to social project incubator. Mm -hmm. I won it and somehow started working with the schools. It wasn't easy, but then 2014 came, and of course I met a lot of amazing people. That's how the Charitable Foundation was established, the Manifest Mira, and then we established an NGO. Uh, and of course we were participating in Maidan and like uh, organizing all these supply chains of Ataxin and, and other things that needed mm -hmm. and uh, the strikes here. So it just happened essentially mm -hmm. because the universe was <laughs> sending the signs. <laughs> And you follow them when they come, right? That's <laughs> oh. <laughs> absolutely lovely. Yes, yeah, the universe keeps sending the signs. So, <laughs> as it does. So you, um, 
worked with child advocacy, with Manifest Mira, worked with the schools, worked with the local administration. Anything you want to talk about in the first decade of Manifest's existence? Uh, sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think that I wish to be more focused. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> because when I start talking to people, when they ask, okay, what have you done for the last decade? And usually like people are building their career, trying to get into the topic and, and understand the whole thing that they're working in. And in my case, it, it's <laughs> really bad. I've been doing almost everything. Uh, so, um, again, it, <laughs> it was just, it was happening essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't just go through. That's all. And so you went? Went where? <laughs> you couldn't go through. <laughs> so I was... So you went around? No, Over? I was just digging into all these processes around. <laughs> you were just digging lots of with, different holes. Like sometimes it was the question whether we have to establish another NGO and we were establishing another NGO mm -hmm. like with their uh, friends of the museum, a museum for change, mm -hmm. and how many of the NGOs or charities have to be established mm -hmm. for this project, <laughs> and, and how many teams have to be there, and, and all these kind of the things. But I was always lucky with the teams. Mm -hmm. I mean, coming back to all this entire road, I think it was just an amazing, amazing times with meeting all these people who were around in different times. Uh, and, and yes, there are some results. I mean, sometimes I, I just remember like what we were doing and, and uh, some things I can't even share, but maybe one day <laughs> now it would sound strange. But yes, it was just a lot. St starting from the basements on with with the soldiers from Crimea and, in, and, and me buying the helmets uh, in Croatia, being pregnant uh, and ending uh, with the children's rights and civil activism or organizing the strikes against of the local development and, and then participating in local elections, having their suits with the mayor's party and, and all this like kind of a mess. <laughs> It sounds absolutely beautiful. <laughs> okay. And I agree, by the way, that the team that you have assembled and the people who have surrounded you over the years that I've met, at least through you, are absolutely amazing. So well yeah, that's true. And, and I mean, for me, it was always the main thing is uh, the root itself more than the results, mm -hmm. because I think that it's crucially not to lose yourself mm -hmm. during this route. I mean, I have a lot of people who I know who burned out and, and ended up with even psychiatric problems. Mm -hmm. And I really don't want to end up that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> so sometimes we have to do the pause, understand the situation, and actually, that's why we were changing the spheres and the the processes that often. Because when you start some process and you start, let's call it, like somehow manage the fire that is already there, you understand the process deeper 
and and what caused this mm-hmm. and you want to go there and you know to find the roots mm-hmm. and f- and somehow change what caused these processes so more you dig deeper you go better you understand the roots of the problem mm-hmm. uh, and more often you have to change what you start doing because we usually have the hypothetical view on the situation but researchers mm-hmm. and the work and the experience that you get i mean no other researchers can be compared with the experience mm-hmm. uh they are uh, bringing us to another stage sometimes this stage should could be even in another sphere and i think that's completely fine i have the huge cemetery of the project mm-hmm. and i don't think that is something bad no not at all so after all of this how did your life change after the full scale invasion of ukraine in 2022 oh i think that the main change is that our uh, my ability to make the decision was stolen mm-hmm. and my ability to even short planning do short plans were also stolen mm-hmm. so yeah and my perception that i can manage the things and influence something also was stolen mm-hmm. So yes, uh first month is I had like I can't even understand how I had this much of the energy because it feels for me that it's going to be sprint uh and I haven't slept mm-hmm. eat uh, it was just like humanitarian aid ev- uh, evacuation helping 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 calls 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 emails mm-hmm. Uh, meetings and it was okay but then when i start re- realizing that it's not a sprint it's a marathon mm-hmm. it scared me a lot because i asked my question but what is with your family what have you done to give your children education something that will support their development and health and how did you protect them and that was the crucial time when i start looking for like not going back because uh, the decision was almost made to be back mm-hmm. to ukraine back in the Could summer back and forth between the uk and ukraine no because the first months is, i was living in in romania next to the border mm-hmm. in constanza so I didn't want to move to another country because of course we established the humanitarian mm-hmm. aid hub the warehouse and the mm-hmm. volunteers uh, and I was the one who had the authority to sign the documents so if I would left the place it mm-hmm. wouldn't be properly established with all these documentation thing but we, again we had an amazing team there so yes uh, I just like stopped yeah uh, that's my phone that's my daughter no so <laughs> it's no worries at all truly yeah and uh, so you were busy in constanza and then from so you moved away from home you you moved away you left odessa at the beginning of the full scale invasion and moved to right. romania you had to uproot everything yes yeah and then from romania after a few months there running the warehouse no it's half a year half a year 
Yes, because we had the rental agreement, etc. So we were quite sure that by the summer, mm -hmm. everything will be finished mm -hmm. and we will be back. Mm -hmm. But it didn't happen. And I remember there was the meeting with some international NGOs in Constanza and they invited me and it was about like May. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was the only one Ukrainian there and they raised the question of how to establish all the processes for supporting refugees for the next year. Mm -hmm. And I felt myself that bad that I had to leave the place. I literally had hysteria because I couldn't just accept the information that I am here as a refugee and back to 2014, I've been helping refugee IDPs from mm -hmm. Crimea and Donbass, leading the evacuation processes from Donbass and establishing the camps here for mm -hmm. giving the accommodation to the people. And sitting there, I was like, oh no, I'm on the place of the people who I used to help for mm -hmm. that long. In, in Ukraine uh, and now all these people around are doing this long-term planning, meaning that I'm not going to be back home. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they're right, but I didn't want to accept this information. So this leads perfectly into my next question, yeah. actually, <laughs> which is you wear a lot of hats, humanitarian aid, mother, full-time work, activism many other things, I'm sure. How do you balance it all? Or how do you try to find balance in all of it? Or do you? The truth is that there are no balance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is the journey from, from giving yourself these illusions, mm -hmm. from illusion to illusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, and from hope to hope. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes I found myself like keeping myself because I changed the spheres and work, like having one work and then working in another sphere. It can actually help you a lot in terms of not dig too deep mm -hmm. somewhere. In my case, I do ask too many questions. I do check too much of the information. Mm -hmm. So last time I have <laughs> means I'm not that deep into topic and I keep in myself okay. Uh, but I think that first time, because for since 2014 uh, and Marsha was born in 2015, mm -hmm. I think I haven't spent enough with my children with having this crazy schedule and a lot of the projects and, and being through challenges because it was like emergency response mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Even with the educational cultural projects, it was an emergency response because we were facing issues like uh, throwing out us uh, from the school because we were talking about corruption with children and then manage how to communicate with these children for them understanding what's happening because they're not allowing you to communicate with them. Then having security issues because you're pronouncing loudly some things that mm -hmm. people doesn't, don't like. Uh, and, and cultural projects and then all this story with the museum is just whole another script of the movie. And, and 
it ended up with the civil activism because there was the conflict between Sasha Roidbord and uh, opposition party, and it was really dirty. Mm-hmm. So, if you ask me, did we have any analysis of the risks before we start doing this, where we would put down everything that we faced, mm-hmm. then no. So, I mean, there are no balance. Sometimes you just want to not to give up. Mm-hmm. Let's call it this way. Mm-hmm. Because it was so many times just about giving up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and actually, after Sasha passed away, I decided, Sasha Roidbord, that I will give up for some time, for sure, with the civil activism, with NGO work, with charity work. And the team would definitely uh, say to you that it was truth. Because I said, okay, no more grant projects. Uh, we are taking these six months for like frozen everything because I really want to go. And I, I was trying to switch all the activities to business because I thought that I have to work in business sphere, nothing about NGO or government or anything public because I was feeling that it was too much and I can just like go crazy. So I, right now, I'm really happy that I'm doing full-time job mm-hmm. and I have this support on the financial side mm-hmm. because it helps a lot uh, when you have team who are like managing things on that scale mm-hmm. and, and they can educate you and then you can even use it for NGO work. And that, that, that helps you a lot, that educates you a lot, this corporate Western culture. It's really nice thing to have in your tools. <laughs> and I'm really like, I really do appreciate and I really love the team who I work with. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing ethics and corporate culture and values and uh, I'm really grateful for, for being there. And that's in the UK, right? Where you moved? Uh, it is remote job. It's a remote job, but you're living but, in the UK. But I live in the UK and I love people in the UK. So, Good. I mean, people help me to balance through all these challenges. That's for sure. That's the only thing that keeps me okay. And my children, of course. Good. At least something's helping us find it. And as you said, pushing through each step, not thinking too much about balance, but just thinking about keeping going. Yeah. If you're going through hell, just keep going. Don't think about balance. And and I remember that was very significant and important meeting that I had with the Catholic priests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I asked him the question, because I said, like, look, I have a troubles. There are so many people asking me, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like with NGO or charity and things like this. And he said to me, and he laughed. He was like, Ina, look, in like Christian values, and I'm agnostic person, you have to understand. There is their important thing to understand. If you have okay life and the God give you something, that's okay to share. Mm-hmm. And that's just, simple or 
What is the word in English? Потребность. What is the word потребность? Oh, I have to check this word. I forgot. Oh. So we'll check this word. I, I, I didn't know it. I just like... So, uh, yeah. So it's a simple потребность. Потреба. Just to share it. And if we go to, like, the word, because there is the charity word in English, but in, in Ukrainian... Потребность need. So it's a need. It's a simple need to share. Yes. <laughs> so in Ukrainian word, it means благотворити, mm -hmm. meaning that you have to do good mm -hmm. and share this good. Mm -hmm. And it's simple need of the human being mm -hmm. to share and do good. So nothing about psychology there. It's like, oh, I feel that, that nice now. It's just simple need. Yeah, well said. Just on another scale. So with you living in uh, what might be called the West oh, and yes. being uh, so closely connected to Ukraine and still having lots of work connections here, what is your impression of the Western response, if any, and what would you like to see it do differently in Ukraine? Okay, so there are certain things that I would say could be changed. And this is the faster response. Mm -hmm. And we see it not only with the government, we probably face it on the level like organizations like UN, mm -hmm. And we were talking about this a lot, the organizations like NATO and, and all these institutions that were established actually as a peacekeeping institutions. Mm -hmm. But right now, when Europe actually also in the middle of hot war, mm -hmm. because it's on the border with, of Europe and we do face that sometimes some rockets can, can somehow <laughs> mm -hmm. Make their intercept way. their... Uh, borders of the EU uh, and yes the, the, the response has to be faster so I don't understand that the whole architecture is that heavy that it has to be changed and I really truly believe from what I see that Ukraine and the war in Ukraine now changing this architecture we see that uh, the UNESCO case uh, with Russia being there and being thrown out through, from the organization. We see the case with the, what w was the name of the UN agency which is responsible for the, uh, for, for the marine uh, operations. Something yeah, like yeah. that. So anyway, there are certain cases already when they start changing the legislation and things like this. But it's still so, so slow. They should probably be out of the Security Council at some point, for example, but that might take a long time. It's a mistakes of the past. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when these mistakes being done, it means that if they change something, they are saying we've done the mistake. Mm -hmm. So here we face another another issue. This is the leadership crisis. When the leaders are responsible to first analyze the 
there are certain mistakes mm -hmm. being done by previous governments mm -hmm. of their countries do lessons learned fast and uh, proceed with their changes mm -hmm. also fast and adapt them because we see now the crisis with the EU package when one country can block the decision of the whole block. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's all quite strange, especially with the EU. And I mean, maybe sometimes when we hear this narrative that US is so far away and they're, uh, they really want European Union to be more involved, I don't understand this logic. Because to be honest, it's just too close to the European Union. Mm -hmm. And European Union was feeding Russia for so long time and mm -hmm. was just accepting what was happening. Uh, and we were forced to miss agreements and all these kind of things. And, and everyone was okay with the Crimea and accession. So that's a hard question. I would, I would really love to, to give you more answers. But I really think that it's not the right timing to pronounce loudly some things until you will understand that uh, they are not going to harm anything mm -hmm. or anyone. Mm -hmm. So it's very sensitive time to pronounce things like this. And, and uh, I'm really grateful to all people who are now trying to advocate on the Western. And I really blame the all architecture that we established after the Second World War. Mm -hmm. And I really blame that the lessons learned haven't been done with the previous crisis and, and no one pronounced that all these proxy wars from the Soviet Union and the Cold War. The Cold War wasn't actually over mm -hmm. uh, with the fall of the Soviet Union. So it, it, it's a whole complicated story and I'm not educated enough to just share my opinion. More than most that I've talked to on the subject, I would say, but we'll leave it there. A um, couple more questions I'd love to get to uh, if we have time. Nikolai, how are we doing on time? Mm, two, three minutes. Mm -hmm. This is one I love if you have any thoughts on it. What do you think makes Odessa and its region unique from any other part of the world, if anything? Okay, the diversity of the culture presented mm -hmm. here, that's for sure. Uh, we are really unique in terms of the all the presence of different cultures and the location that we have. Uh, and it's really a shame that we still haven't developed the region properly because it's in El Dorado. I really believe in it. Uh, and uh, it has a lot of roots to European Union. We have unique location on the border with uh, Romania and all this Bessarabia region, which is like so unique in terms of their local culture, cuisine, and, 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 uh, uh, I mean, people there, and it, it's really different if you go on the north or on the west of the Odessa region. We are the biggest region in Ukraine, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, geographically, we are the biggest region in Ukraine. We have 91 Gramada here. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of monuments. And, and I mean, yes, probably we also have these myths around Odessa and Odessa region that we have. We are really about mafia and corruption. But I think it's all about the perceptions and myth that we spread. So being on the head of person who used to work in regional administration, I do understand that there's some still some influence of certain groups. And I really believe that right now we are changing this uh, direction and it will be easier than to uh, develop the region, develop the infrastructure, build the airport in Ismail properly in Arcis, or build the bridges and connect the region because what we face again with the rural community because we don't have proper connectivity, rural communities can't develop properly. Mm -hmm. They can't start business there. So we can talk a lot about the social issues and children in need in the region. But until we will support the economy and the small businesses there, the farms, etc., and give the opportunities to the parents for to work and have these opportunities on the ground, we would never solve the issue with the children in need or marginalized children, vulnerable children, and all these problems that are also trying to be solved from another side. So it's a multi-layered pie mm -hmm. of the uh, things that are not giving us a chance to go forward in terms of development. But I will also pronounce now important thing. I think that's the golden time for Odessa being the backline and strategically that important region with their ports on the sea, ports on the river, uh, connectivity to two countries, uh, being on the border with Transnistria and being that close to solve this issue too. I think we are having a lot of opportunities in terms of developing now region mm -hmm. for establishing great basement for the future. And I was just going to say that uh, I don't know how much of my audience knows this actually, but Odessa does have a reputation for mafia type experiences. But my experience here has absolutely been that the vast majority of my interactions with the bureaucracy, with normal people, with the institutions are mafia free. And I only <laughs> very rarely run into whiffs and hints that they are still here, but it's been absolutely, I've really loved living in this city. So well done to everyone who's made it, made it what it is now. On the optimistic note. Do you see the war dragging on much longer? And if so, what do you think is the best path forward for Ukraine? Short answer, long answer, anything, that, any thoughts on that? <laughs> okay, I think that we are just on the start mm -hmm. of maybe even beautiful processes. Mm -hmm. uh, I really want to still have this hope. 
but it's not going to be easy. It can't be easy because probably in Ukraine, we for Ukrainians, uh, it's just been too much and and we lost too many people. Mm -hmm. mm, so, but for the whole world, and let's not forget that right now we have also the polygon in Gaza, mm -hmm. which is really connected to what's happening in Ukraine because it's also a part of proxy Russian war. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and now we have a lot of results and maybe some more conflicts will will appear like Pakistan we were talking about Pakistan mm -hmm. with you today and and there can be different geographies and Eastern Asia mm -hmm. you name it because there are a lot of experts on it but I think that the the best thing that every person have to do for their families and themselves to be trained enough to understand how to behave in any crisis situation uh, and to protect their children, of course, because it's better to be protected to anything, especially when we don't understand when the terroristic attack will be even in the safer place. Mm -hmm. And of course, ask yourself the question, what is my role in all these journey and this war for the values because if all the communities and, and Western communities and our allies we start looking at this as a World War Three mm -hmm. and having one effort mm -hmm. to go through these challenges together as a community then I think we have high chances to win I don't know, maybe something have to happen, really bad happen to European countries mm -hmm. when they will understand this and we will start like having this common journey faster. But I really think that uh, it could be done. If not, then it will be really ugly world. It means that the democracy failed. Mm -hmm and liberal values also failed. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, and I think we we are not we are not talking enough and we are not taking enough actions in terms of the trade pair as a warfare tool. Mm -hmm. We are talking a lot about sanctions, but I think some countries have to be just like simply cut from everything and and you have to understand all the supply chains uh, with the Central Asia, etc., etc. So now it's crucial to stop any trading with Russia mm -hmm. and associated countries. I don't want to pronounce China because I don't think that I'm aware enough of their trade fair situation to mm -hmm. pronounce it loudly, but I know that their recent changes in the law of the European Union already trying to control this Chinese presence also uh, on the European Union market. Mm -hmm. So slowly, slowly it started to appear. But I still think that 
maybe we also have a chance to negotiate with some countries as a China, not North Korea or Iran for sure. But yes, uh, it's whole complicated story. Uh, it's going to be not easy, but again, the most important to be trained, to understand the protocols and to understand what is your role there. Well, um, I think a nice note to end on, perhaps. Uh, you've painted some of the perils that we face. Um, maybe paint us a picture of what world you would like to see. What world you would like to see your children growing up in. A multicultural, maybe democratic world. What, if you were to close your eyes and think of a better world that your kids could be in one day? What would it look like? Oh, no. I mean, I don't really care about the whole world. <laughs> Good. I mean, why should I care about the whole mm -hmm. world? I want my home mm -hmm. uh, to be prosperous mm -hmm. and safe place for the children. But of course, when we talk about Ukraine, I want Ukraine being on the borders of 1991, mm -hmm. having certain level of the education and services, mm -hmm. for sure, mm -hmm. uh, certain level of the cultural product that will be available for people even from the rural areas and coming back to the connectivity, of course, we have to develop the connectivity internally mm -hmm. and externally inside of the country. And uh, if you just cover these three topics, education, culture, and connectivity, everything will come essentially. Mm. Well, Ina, thank you for your time, for all your work. It's really been a pleasure to speak with you as it always is. So, Thank you. Like, subscribe, support. Check out Ina's work at manifestmira.org and other places. Might even be a name trade manifest charity foundation. So grateful for all of your support. Thanks, everyone. Love to all. Really?